G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. This is Andrew McLennan. Today we can look at Europe and think to ourselves, wow, what has happened to Christianity? It seems that other religions and even atheism has overtaken Christianity as the main belief system among Europeans. But there's a little-known story of an Australian couple that went to Paris, France in the 1980s and birthed a Christian Bible-believing church that flourished and grew. And from this one church, eventually 30 other churches would start. It's an example of God shining light into darkness, that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Vince Esterman, the founder of that church in Paris with his wife, Denise, more than 30 years ago. Vince, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for that introduction. Yes, thank you very much for your welcome. So, Vince, let, let's cut to the chase. I, I've lived in Europe. I've been to Europe, and I remember driving through France years ago uh, and just looking at the landscape compared to Britain and just the lack of churches. You go to Britain, and there's lots of old church buildings in every town and every little village and, and all the capital cities, and you see France, and it seems like the opposite. To me, it seemed like just such a godless place. Tell us about how you ended up in France starting a church. We, we, we began because I came from a French family initially, and I felt God call us to France to begin to preach the gospel. So you felt a calling from a young age, or did it come later in life to go to France? Well, I, uh, having grown up as, in a French family, I was French and spoke French, and uh, I pastored here in the Brisbane area um, for nine years, and uh, I, I was just concerned, coming back from a trip from Papua, to Papua New Guinea, a missions trip, that this was part of the world that had such a small population that was receiving so much input in terms of the gospel. And I, and I just prayed, Lord, where could we go that, that doesn't have a lot of pastors preaching the gospel? And then suddenly it occurred to me that I was French and I could go to France. So, so it, it just, it was, it, it came... Um, as, as a matter of course of, uh, of our ministry here in, in Australia and, and this trip from, uh, from Papua New Guinea, our return trip. I love that. So it started with a missions trip and <laughs> it started a new focus on missions in, in one of the most developed and sophisticated and I would say unchristianized parts of the modern world, France. Yeah, I'd, that's certainly the case now. I mean, historically, France has been strongly Christian. But it's not the case now, and not for a hundred years. Uh, well, not since uh, since really the Second World War um, ended. Um, I, I would say that um, uh, yeah, it was a great challenge. It really was a great challenge. My wife and I spent thirty four years in 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 France and in the French speaking world. Yeah. So tell us about that. So you've obviously pitched up in France. What what year did you first go there to start your first church? Well, um, when, when I first felt that the Lord was calling us to France, I had absolutely no contacts 
even though I had family, but there were not not uh, evangelical Christians um, uh, in France, but I had no contact with any evangelical Christian. So I wrote uh, to 100 organizations all around the world trying to get a few contacts in France. And I only got one answer, and that was um, from uh, an Assemblies of God pastor in, Lo- in London or south of London who was the, um, the director of the European missions of the Assemblies of God in, in, in England. He, he wrote back to me and he said, if you really feel that this is God, come over, we'll meet, and I'll take you into France. And that was the beginning. So that okay. was in 1984 was our first trip to spy out the land. Okay, so you've, you've gone there and you've ended up in Paris, I believe, to start your first church. Tell us, how does a couple of Aussies, I know you're from French origins, but how does a couple of Aussies who've got no real connections in the community of Paris, how did you start that first church? Well, we, we went really cold turkey. We had no group. We had nobody to support us. There was nobody waiting for us. Uh, I was the pastor. My wife, Denise, was the congregation. And uh, it, it was, I was still had, I had moved around uh, quite a number of churches in different parts of the country, uh, Assemblies of God and, uh, and also other evangelical churches um, in, a, in a kind of evangelistic role. And I'd seen so much rigidity and legalism that I knew we couldn't continue in that sort of environment. So we moved to the Paris area with the view of starting a church. And I still had a, uh, a commitment down south in the city of Toulouse, or near Toulouse, um, in a youth camp. While I was away, my wife, who had started working as an English teacher, received a phone call. And that phone call was a very interesting phone call. When I got back, my wife said, uh, a lady rang and you need to ring her back. So I rang this lady, not knowing who it was that I was ringing. And I said, uh, I'm Pastor Vince Estimate. Uh, you tried to ring me over the weekend? And she said, yes. So she said, you are a pastor? I said, yes, I am. And she said, and um, you've moved to our area. And I said, well, yes, I have. We, we have found a, a unit where we, that we can, we can rent. And she said, and you've got an intention to start a church. And I said, well, yes. At, at this point, sure. Vince, were you thinking, okay, is this a serial killer? Is this a witch? Like, <laughs> that's what I would have been thinking. I mean, I'm thinking. I would have been thinking, I'm getting stalked here. Yeah, I, I didn't know really what to think. But, and I said, well, yeah, I think, I think we are starting a church. And I heard on the other end of the line saying, praise God, she said. I have been praying for years that God would send a pastor to start a church in our area. And that was how it began. We Incredible. met in that lady's home with three of her friends, and we started a Bible, Bible study in the week, in midweek at her place, and the rest is history, as they say. Amazing. So God's hand is all over that story because, um, you know, I think in the modern world, Vince, a lot of young people, they want to start a church and they think they need a worship band, they need money, they need sure. this, they need that. And, you know, I've seen people wait years trying to get resources and people ready to, to start a church. And um, but your story is just good old-fashioned faith, just went there at the bequest of God himself, 
by faith, went on a journey like Abraham, and 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 this woman was obviously your woman of peace or the man of peace, as the scriptures describe them as, and yes. and she opened up that door for you. Yep, absolutely. And I think that this is um, this is the the lesson we've learned about church planting anywhere, is that without the God factor, um, y- you're not going to get very far. People say, well, what's your technique? What's your approach? I say, listen, mate, <laughs> the only way we can pray when we're going to start a church is God help me. And if there's not the God factor, then it's going to be a kind of a man-made thing where we're just uh, taking a whole heap of people and starting with, with everything uh, all set up. Now, and that's the excitement of an adventure with God, really. Yeah, and you're on it all, all our lives. Yeah, and you wear yourself out as well. And, and I think it, it, it brings us to a deeper point, and that is faith. You know, a lot of people, uh, I think, misinterpret faith as thinking that you just think of something or you want to do something, so you step out in faith, hoping that it'll work. But my reading of faith in the Bible is God speaks to people, such as Abraham, and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and go to a place I'm going to show you. And so Abraham's faith was obedience, not him thinking of an idea or desiring to go somewhere. And I think your story is faith because it was God who put it on your heart and you obeyed God and you went there. And to me, that's what real faith is, Vince. And I think that's what we need to remind people of today, that faith is obedience. It's not just stepping out blindly, hoping that something will work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's absolutely right. So, um, so okay, so let's also, say, sorry, say again, yeah? I was going to say that there has to be also a sense of, of uh, responding to the call of the gospel, that the gospel has to be taken out. And when you do that, then then the Holy Spirit confirms the word that you preach. If you don't preach the word, then the Holy Spirit's got nothing to confirm. And so when you understand that, then you're looking for opportunity to take the word out to the, to the, the people. Yeah, love it. So, and I want I want to continue this story. So, you've got this woman who's rung you up, and um, because I, I started a church years ago too, Vince, and I got a weird phone call too, and mine wasn't as good as yours. <laughs> mine was a weird lady who literally, yeah, she was a witch, and she started cursing me over the phone. But um, that yeah. was in our early days. But so, so you got this woman of peace. She's opened up this door for you. So, tell me about the first meeting you had and the first few meetings. Well, we we had it was just before the summer. Uh, the, the European summer, and so we we kept the midweek Bible study going for the two months of the summer period, and then we got we hit this September, and we thought we built it up to about ten people, and so we said, well, we'll we'll do a public meeting in a public hall. We found a hotel that was prepared to rent us out their hotel room, and uh, and we put out a few flies, put out a few invitations here and there. And we were expecting, if we could get 15 people, we, we thought we would be doing really well. And that first Sunday, <laughs> we got mobbed. It was over 50 people just turned up. And, Amazing. Well, uh, there was 50 people, but 50 problems to have to sort out. So um, it, it was just an amazing time because we were able to have a, a, a full-on meeting, great worship, uh, was able to preach the word. We did announcements. We took up an offering. We couldn't believe it. My wife and I got back to our our, our, our unit, and uh, we emptied the, the offering basket, and there was about eight hundred dollars worth of, uh, of gifts there. And we thought, what are we going to do with this? We hadn't planned on it. We didn't think there'd be anything. So we were we we're off and running, and within six months, there were about a hundred people. 
Incredible. So, uh, then that's and that's France. <laughs> you know, it's not America. It's not Australia. It's France. It was a miracle. Yeah. Miracle. Oh, it's God's hand. And and at that time when you started out, were you aware of many other churches like yours that were kind of, I suppose, doing things in a more modern way, uh, breaking away from their old traditions, or were you guys really pioneering something new in Paris? Well, we we weren't the first, um, but it was still very new. And, um, in fact, we struck a lot of opposition because of the newness of it. Um, but we certainly weren't the ones that brought the charismatic renewal or, or the uh, uh, a renewal to, uh, to France. But we were part of it. And uh, um, I think the fact that we planted new churches, that attracted a lot of attention to ourselves. Yeah. And and that church obviously kept growing and, and flourishing. I think you ended up with several hundred people in your congregation. Was there a percentage of those that were foreigners based in France for work or study, or did you find you had a majority of just French people who were living there, or was it a, a, a kind of an even split? Well, it's uh, it's a very complex uh, society, the, the Parisian society or and the greater Paris area has a huge amount of foreigners as you'd imagine. Yeah. And so churches tend to go ethnic in the Paris area, and not only in Paris, but in the major cities. They tend to go ethnic. So you've got the, the African or you've got the uh, Hispanic or you've got the uh, Korean churches and, and so on. So one of the real battles that I had was to maintain a French culture in the French church that we were planting, uh, simply because uh, faith and culture are so linked and if you're not, if you haven't got a church that reflects the culture of the people you're trying to reach, then you won't reach them. And so I, I really fought hard on that issue to make sure that we would have a church that had an expression that the French people could respond to. And, and I had to change my whole preaching style because of it. Um, the French are very demanding of preachers. Really, and, I can't uh, imagine the French being demanding about anything, Vince. This is this is news oh, to yeah. me. <laughs> oh, look, I tell you, um, in Australia, um, people believed you simply because you were the pastor and you knew the Bible, and that was it. Yeah, they believed you. In the Fran- in France, they don't. Yeah, you've got to be reasonable. Yeah, you've got to have content that convinces them, and so it puts a lot more pressure on preachers. See, <laughs> and and uh, uh, the people don't. Uh, don't respond when when preachers are, are, are preaching. They just listen to you, yep. um, and that's a really off-putting for somebody from, say, the states, yeah, America, who's looking for the hallelujah and preacher brother, <laughs> and they're yep. clapping and yeah, um, because there's no response. You see, because they're thinking, um, they're thinking people, they're thinking. and they're processing yeah. what you say. And I, I'm finding myself now, having having been in that environment for all those years, that when I'm hearing a speaker. I just want to listen to the guy to see what, what he's saying, you see. Yep. <laughs> Whereas others around me go, uh, yes, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so how did your style change? And when you say you change your style, did that mean you had to put more Bible references in there or did you have to not yell too much? Or what do you mean by change your style of preaching? Change the style in the sense that there had to be content and that's not, not bombarding people with scriptures. It's what you bring out from the scripture. Um, that was that was the key. Um, I, I grew up in good Bible teaching stock, and so it was something that uh, that I learned uh, in the early years of ministry. Um, but it was even more necessary in in France 
to make sure that uh, you, I won the respect of the people by the things that I was saying that was so full of sense, common sense, and being reasonable. And, uh, and, 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 and so people would be satisfied by what they heard, that they were dealing with somebody who was not, not just uh, coming out with slogans uh, and asking us to believe things because it's, it was him that was saying it, but because of, of, of the reasonableness of what he was saying. And I, I guess I learned that on the streets with the sketchboard. And, and for 30 years, I operated on the streets of, of Paris, but also in other cities with a sketchboard. And there, uh, that's where I really cut my teeth with the French, because uh, they have not come to hear a preacher. Uh, they're, they're on the street. They're going ha- to have lunch. Uh, they're going to meet somebody. They're in a hurry. And you've, you've got to have something really good to get them to stop and then to stay and to listen to the end and respond at the end. So that was where that was where I learned to do it a bit differently. So tell me, what is a sketchboard? Describe that to me, please. Well, I learned it through what used to be called the open air campaigners, which came out of Australia actually, or New Zealand, one or the other. And um, I went to a Billy Graham conference uh, congress in 1987, and uh, went to a an open air preaching um, workshop, which I'd never done before. And this this Hispanic young guy gets up with a big sketchboard, does this captivating lettering, tells us a story with this lettering, and then turns around and says, uh, a few years ago, an evangelist came into my village in, in Colombia. Uh, he had a sketchboard. I was in the crowd. He talked about Jesus. I got saved that day. Well, I was convinced. I could just imagine myself doing that in the streets of Paris. And so I, I contacted these people that were in London. They sent me uh, one of their guys to teach me the technique and equip me. I took uh, three months, one hour a day in my office just to perfect the technique and, and work on my stories. And then I went out and had a go. <laughs> and that was just pretty nerve-wracking, pretty intimidating first time I did it. <laughs> Um, but it obviously worked for you. Yeah, well, I found that uh, the challenge of the streets is, is in France was huge because people don't come to hear a preacher. Uh, they're on their way to, to lunch. Uh, they're meeting somebody. They're in a hurry. And so I had to have something that was captivating, that was going to hold the crowd, that was going to bring them to, to, to think and then get response at the end. And, uh, and so I developed stories. It was very nerve-wracking the very first time I did it. I'd been training myself for an hour a day for a month, three months, in fact. I took the sketchboard out the very first time. And uh, I set up in a, in a well, well-frequented area in the city of Nîmes in the south and prepared. And I could sense behind me people gathering to have a look at what I was doing. I turned around to start my story. Initially, I was... Very shaky, and and and, but I, I I got confidence as I went went on, and people were listening, and and I got to the end of the story, and the punchline is I put up the word God in French, D I E U, and I spelled it wrongly. I put D U I E, and I I just felt so terrible. I thought, you know, I know how touchy God is about His name, and here I was publicly getting it wrong, <laughs> um, and I felt bad. I felt really bad. People drifted away. And then there was just one lady who was very elegantly dressed, and she just came up to me 
And she said this. She said, sir, I admire your faith. Well, it really, it really encouraged me. So I just packed up my stuff after the first story. And I said, that's enough for one day. And I went home. But that was the beginning of what ultimately led to 30 years of being able to preach to over 100,000 people who stayed till the end of each story and listened to me. And many responded. So that was the sketchboard. That's incredible, Vince. It's it's so encouraging too, and um, just to hear about a, an Aussie Frenchman on the streets of Paris preaching to a hundred thousand people, just shining light in the darkness. We are with Vince Esterman today, who started a church in Paris, France, in the nineteen eighties. And I want to pick up the story now, Vince. I'm sure you've got some incredible stories of salvation of people who have met Jesus through your you and your wife's ministry there from when you first started that church in Paris? Well, yeah, um, we have some incredible stories to tell. And um, one, of, one of them actually was a lady who was the wife of a successful businessman in Paris. Now, she had a lot of money and spent it on holidays. In fact, they went on holidays so often that they just ran out of places that they could go that they hadn't been to. And they'd reached the stage where how they chose their holiday destination was by throwing a pen on a map of the world, and wherever that pen pointed, that's where they would go. I mean, <laughs> it's nice <laughs> to have the money, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and anyway, she was living the high life, and one day she went to Cuba on holiday, and um, she was in a five-star hotel, obviously. There was this absolutely sumptuous uh, buffet meal that was prepared. And this other French tourist came down, and she looked at the meal, and she created an almighty storm because there was no bread. Well, you know, the French are very fussy about the bread. And, and, and this lady, whose name is Chantal, she was so ashamed of this lady, and suddenly she realized that she was just like her. And she came back home to Paris, determined to find people who were not, who were not like that. And she had, in her family, been in, in conflict with uh, 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 someone in her family who was a Christian, actually. But because she felt so strongly about this, she rang her and said, do you know anybody? in Paris, who could possibly help me find um, different kind of people to mix with. And she said, yeah, I know a pastor. His name is Vince Esterman. And so she gave her my number, and this lady rang me. And I invited her to the service. It was a visitor's morning uh, the following Sunday. She came late. And in the testimony, she says, so that nobody would speak with her. And she decided to leave early, and that's what she did. She said that the first meeting, she never heard a word. She just looked around and looked at the faces of the people and could not believe the beauty of the joy on the faces of the people. She came away saying their God must actually run a beauty salon for them to all look like that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's what she said in the testament. I've never heard it put like that before. But <laughs> no, neither that's a good though. It's good. Yeah, 
it was it was genuine. Anyway, she came and came again the following Sunday, and then came again, and she, and every time I would ask her, uh, "Are you ready to give your life to Christ?" and she would say no. And this went on for a couple of months. And um, one Sunday night, she went home. She went to bed. And she woke up in the middle of the night with a vision. And in that vision, Jesus appeared to her. And he was just saying to her, come to me. Come now. Come to me. And she got out of bed and she gave her life to Jesus that night. And the next day, she rang, so excited about what had happened to her. Well, that lady became my personal assistant. She came and worked alongside of us. And for years, she became a key, key person. Um, after she got saved, she was rejected by her family. They all accused her of falling into a cult. Her husband divorced her. Wow. Wow. Uh, she had major health issues. It was amazing how tested she was, but she never lost her joy. Mm. She was just full of joy, and she would never let me go out on the streets to do my sketchboard without coming with me. Incredible. And so she, she, she just became a real lover of, of the gospel and, and of souls being saved. What an amazing story. Can I ask, when she first started attending a church for a couple of months, you obviously noticed her because as pastors, we notice people. Were you getting frustrated by it because she wasn't responding to the gospel or, or were you really praying for her and just believing for her salvation? Oh, no. I, I, I feel very comfortable. I don't sort of feel I've got to put any pressure on people. I really work with only what God, is, what God does. Uh, I don't sort of feel I've got to try and make it happen. So I just let her. We just loved her. It was great to see her. It was important for her to feel confident with us. We were very different kind of people that she'd, she'd mixed with. Um, and uh, she was gradually getting more and more confident. She would come to picnics over that period of time. Um, and, and, and she would listen and, and learn and, and uh, experience worship, the worship. And, and, uh, and all of that was just getting her set up for what Jesus was going to do for her. And you were praying for her the whole time, obviously, for her salvation? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, sort of feel that, that I've got to carry everybody's salvation in prayer. Um, I, I just pray for God to do the work that has to be done. Uh, now, you know, I, I know that that may sound pretty radical, but I, I don't feel I've got to carry the world on my shoulders for, them to, or for everyone to get saved. Yeah. I, I just say, Lord, you know, uh, you said, what man among you? If your son asks for a fish, and I said, Lord, I'm not going to ask you for the fish. I'm going to ask you for a fish. And so I just then see what fish God gives me. Yeah. So you're in, you're in faith. You're in prayer. Like you said, you're praying for salvations, but you're not carrying oh, yeah. the burden of it and yeah. uh, just loving I, her and, I, and watching her. Devote, I devote myself to prayer. There's no doubt about it. But I don't sort of feel that I've got to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And but and obviously you're just working with people like this lady and just watching God work and watching them. I'm only asking these questions to encourage all of our listeners today that I'm sure all of us have friends and maybe family members and or neighbors or work colleagues that we also want to see them saved. And it's just encouraging to hear, Vince, that like you said, we just pray for their salvation. We don't carry that burden don't carry the salvation of, of their souls on our shoulders, but we pray for them and just believe that God is going to work and, and just see a great outcome. Happen. Yeah. Something will happen. Mm, it's encouraging. I'm not telling God what he's, 
I'm, I'm not telling God what he's got to do and who he's got to do it with and when he's got to do it. I'm just saying, God, just let it happen. Let something happen that will make a difference. Yeah, amazing story. Can you think of another really outstanding salvation like that one that you saw? Oh, yeah, I got another good one. Um, this is this is recent. This is so recent, uh, Andrew. Um, in December of this last, this past December, just a few months ago, I get this email from a lady who I didn't know, a, a lady who's called Estelle. She lives in Paris. She heard me on the streets of Paris with my sketchboard in 1998. She, she was a 20-year-old that had a great career in, in sales uh, ahead of her. We talked. She had been touched. She wanted to talk at the end of the, the story. Um, I took her address, and when I got home, I sent her a Bible. She said that she'd be interested in getting one, so I sent her one uh, by, the, by the postal service. She got the Bible. She wasn't that interested in it, really, and she threw it in a box and forgot about it. And uh, and then when she would have to when she had to move, then she just threw all her, box, all her books in, a, in boxes and moved. And gradually, she came back to Paris twenty four years later with all her boxes of books and unpacked them and came across the Bible that I'd sent her twenty four years later, opened it up and found the note that I had written to her that I put in the pages of the Bible. She read the note, and to her amazement, not only did she have my name, which she'd been looking for because she wanted to contact somehow to contact me again but didn't have any means to do that, but I had put the note in the book of Samuel. Now, if you open up your Bible anywhere in the middle, Samuel is nowhere in the middle. And somehow I put it in Samuel, and she just saw that as a sign because the guy that she was with and that he is now her husband, uh, his name is Samuel. <laughs> so she saw that as really a, a significant indication, a sign. You see. So she's writing to me 24 years later saying she's ready now to understand more about God. So I replied to her and we set up a video link up, me in Australia in Brisbane and her in Paris. I led her to the Lord in that video link-up. In the room next to where she was, was her live-in boyfriend, who's now husband, who was a backslidden Christian from a Christian family, who was really overcome to hear me leading his, his lady friend to Jesus next, next door. Amazing. Yeah, amazing story. Um, so I kept up the contact with her and him from a distance. When we uh, arrived in France, end of February, for a two-month tour of churches, they met us at the airport. On the 1st of April, I had a friend of mine in the north of, uh, north of France who's got a church, a fine church, and he was all set up with, with his baptistry. And so... I did. I baptized her in northern France on the first of April of this past year uh, with her family present. They'd come from different parts of France and and from Paris and friends. And uh, they, her and her and her fiance, made a public commitment that they would move towards Christian marriage 
as a result of that. On the 6th of June of this year, from a distance from Australia, I did a video link-up where I conducted the wedding uh, of them in, in, their, in their, their place in the, uh, in the country, a country house that they have. And um, she is very much a spiritual daughter now for me. How about that? 24 years later. That is really encouraging, Vince. I would say the word is encouraging that you've, <laughs> Amazing, just, you've just been so faithful to God. And who would have thought that a conversation you had in a Bible you sent to someone 23, 24 years ago would bear fruit today in someone's yeah. salvation and her boyfriend <laughs> coming back to and the good. Lord? Yeah. Oh, and that's amazing. Uh, in, fact, in fact, this coming year, next year, in May, we'll be going to the West Indies to, to, to do the another ceremony, wedding ceremony for this couple because he's a West Indian uh, and the whole family is going to be there and are going to gather all their friends in the French island of Martinique. And so my wife and I will be flying from Paris to Martinique to conduct that wedding there again just so that the family and friends can be part of a wedding ceremony for them. Just, just it's so good, Vincent. It's just got God's hand all over it. I'm going to fast forward on your story because I know eventually 30 churches were birthed out of that main church in Paris. All churches connected to you were birthed across different parts of France, which is just in itself an amazing story of God's faithfulness to his word and his promise and also his calling on your life. But I want to ask you, Vince, about modern-day France, because, again, I'm not really following French news a lot, but what I see is obviously there's been large migration into France from their former colonies, particularly North Africa, and there is a lot of tension. There's a lot of cultural tension, a lot of religious tension there. Many of those people are not from a Christian faith or a Catholic faith. What is happening in those communities? Are you aware of the gospel penetrating into those new communities of uh, migrants into modern-day France? Um. Look, it, it just depends who you talk to. Um, if you look at, at the media and um, you're looking at French um, demographics, then the big cities are being overrun by former colonies, people coming from former colonies. And it's, it's uh, migration has and uh, multiculturalism has gone out of control, totally out of control. There's no bringing it back. And that gradually, because it's a democratic-run society, then and and um, foreign women have a lot more children than the French women do. All of these, because they're born in France, then have nas- French nationality and have voting rights. Yep. Within a generation, they will be able to vote in uh, non-French people, um, non-French uh, initial French-cultured people. Yeah, uh, the whole of France is as in other parts of Europe, uh, are beginning to, to be dismantled in terms of their culture, history, and civilization. Yep. Uh, and this is, this is something that we have saw over the many years that we were there. It was just progressively getting worse and worse. And yet in the midst of all of that, God is doing a work. I mean, there is no doubt about it. Right. I, got, I got an email. Uh, going back only two months from a young woman who, who was 21 years old, who at the age of 18 converted. She was a French girl. who con- She converted to Islam. She spent three years in Islam, studied it, and then saw through it and saw all of the, all of the errors of the Quran. 
and uh, and she uh, converted to Christ because the because the Quran spoke about Jesus. She got interested in knowing more about Jesus, and so she she read about it in the Gospels and got saved, beautifully saved. Right. Um, she has a husband who's a Muslim, a, a, a open, respectful guy, and they were having a discussion about the Gospels and about the parables. And they were not sure about how many parables there were. And so this lady goes into a Christian bookshop in the city, a big city of Toulouse in the south, and she comes across my book on the hundred parables of Jesus. She bought it and contacted me and asked if I could follow them up. And, uh, and I said, well, who are they? And she said, well, there's a number of my friends who were Muslims and who have all converted over to Christ. And uh, they they need to be to be taught, and some in Algeria, some are in other parts of France, and so every Saturday afternoon I do a video session with these ladies um, in different parts of the world. I've got to give uh, one a nine o'clock start, another one eleven o'clock start, one o'clock eight o'clock start, and I've got a five p.m. start, <laughs> and and I do a a series of of uh, basic Bible. Uh, Christian uh, classes that I've named uh, Living for Jesus. And I just had an email this morning from one of them who was who was a French lady who converted to Christ, uh, who converted to Islam, and 22 years later, she found Christ. Man. And she is just flourishing in her walk with Jesus. Well, she rang to say, she contacted me this morning to say that a friend of hers now has come right through into an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what God really wants for her life, and uh, and that's that's just another one yep. that's coming through. So, so the, there we are. The, so the scripture comes to mind, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, and and throughout history and throughout the Bible, isn't it? We see when the darkness seems to be uh, coming in that the light of heaven. Shines and once again, so encouraging to hear that that God is breaking into those communities and breaking into areas that were once Islamic, and and now Jesus is is being glorified there. Yeah, I, I don't want to overstate it. Um, it is is it is a a strong, very strong Muslim presence in France now. Um, but in the midst of all of that, uh, things are happening, and. Um, it's, it's got to be a sovereign work. It's got to be a sovereign work because it's it's uh, it's not going to make much of an impact unless it is. Yeah. But it's like the old song says, Vince, we used to sing, God's not dead. No, he is alive. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> and he's working, isn't he? No matter, even when we don't feel it, he's working. Even when we don't see it, he's certainly yeah, working. Right. And um, right. Vince, I just want to touch on two, because maybe there's people out there today uh, that have a heart for church planting or they, they they want to serve God in some capacity. I believe you came out of a very strong church background in Australia which equipped you for the work that you did. Can you tell us about that, about your background in Australia? Well, um, I came out of, as I've mentioned, a French family that was a strong, strongly practicing Catholic family. And I found Christ, or rather he found me, when I was a 15-year-old in a youth camp outside of Sydney in the Blue Mountains. And um, it was such a powerful experience that nobody could explain to me what I'd experienced, but I just knew two things, that God had touched my life 
right experience, a sense of joy and happiness that I had never, never even dreamt it was possible. And I came out of that experience with my heart on fire, but nobody there to, to explain to me the gospel, even to explain what had happened to me. And so a young 15-year-old, that um, a Catholic, that experiences that has only one option, to want to serve God for the rest of their life, and that has become a Catholic priest. So when I finished my high school, I went into the Catholic seminary, and I carried the satan, I wore the satan and the crosses on the collar and everything for two years. But while I was there, somebody handed me the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, and that absolutely revolutionized my life. Yeah, David Wilkinson's story, yeah. Yeah, David Wilkinson's book. I could not believe that that was still possible today. This was the Bible that I was reading about that was actually happening today. And so I left the seminary um, looking for something much, much better. Um, And out of that, then um, I got involved in prayer meetings in Sydney that were a a bit quiet, a bit flat. And I heard that things were really happening up in Brisbane. So I threw my stuff in the car. I had a little Honda, two stroke, and I drove up to Brisbane looking for God, looking for the move, looking for what God was doing. And um, I eventually met some friends who said, you ought to come with us to Christian Life Center in Brisbane and hear Pastor Trevor Chandler. And so I did that because at the time I was leading the singing in a Catholic mass in the Jesuit parish in, in, in Tawong. Um, and so that Sunday night I went with my friends to um, – in fact, no, I went on my own as I was a university student. I went on my own, sitting up the back. It was later that I went with my friends. And, uh, and I heard Pastor Trevor Chandler preach for the very first time. I was gobsmacked. I had never heard the preaching of the gospel as I did that night. I became, in that church, I, I just put my roots down, became a serious-minded um, young man in the church, before long, I became the assistant youth leader, then the assistant pastor, youth pastor, and then the, then the youth pastor for Trevor Chandler. And that was one of the great experiences for me to work alongside of and to learn alongside of Pastor Trevor Chandler. And I guess um, some people still hear me today who knew him and said, you, you still preach like Trevor. They'd say, when we close our eyes, we think it's Trevor preaching. I said, sorry, I, that's how I learned. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a great story. So you've planted yourself in a church where God is obviously moving because uh, Trevor was a man sent by God. I think he's from New Zealand originally, wasn't he? That's right, yes. Yeah, sent by God to Australia, and uh, and God used him wonderfully in the in the 1970s and 80s in Australia here. And so I think that's a real key in your story, isn't it, that you planted yourself in a church where God was really moving and saving the lost and, and, and really growing his kingdom and without probably realizing it, you were being trained, weren't you, for your eventual work in, in France? Yeah, I had no idea that, that we would end up in, in, in France or anywhere else other than, than uh, in a church in Australia. It was as the youth pastor that, that I married um, one of the youth uh, committee members, uh, Denise Kelly, her name was at that, at that time. Yeah. And uh, in our first year of marriage, then Trevor asked us to come in uh, into his office and she said, we've got a group who are coming in from Ipswich uh, each Sunday, and now they want a church. Would you be prepared to go to Ipswich and, and plant a church in Ipswich? 
And so we went to Ipswich and planted our first church, and uh, that was quite a story in itself. Yeah, and again, it's part of your training and your preparation for what you'd eventually do. But I think, uh, like I said, for any young people out there listening today, Vince, who maybe have a desire to start a church or be involved in church planning, I think the real key for you is that you started in a really solid church. You planted yourself and you were faithful in your local yeah. church. And just like the Bible says, Joshua was faithful also when Moses was the leader. And in Joshua's faithfulness also didn't realize probably he was being trained to eventually uh, replace Moses and, and lead God's people. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, I, I, I knew God had called me and I knew I had to be in a place where that call could be recognized and helped and developed. And, uh, and well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me one time when I, I was listening to, to Pastor Trevor and, and it was right at the beginning. I was a pretty woolly, bearded, um, Afro-haired uh, university student in those days and I sat and listened to him, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, now you stick to Trevor. Don't let him go. And so I went and saw him. He didn't know me at that stage. I went and saw him, asked for an appointment. I think I scared him the first time he opened the door and saw me. Um, and he sat me down in his office and said, young man, what, what, uh, what can I do for you? And I said, well, Pastor Trevor, what have I got to do to become a pastor? And he looked at me and over the top of his glasses, and he said, well, Study the Word and be patient. And I thought, that sounds pretty good to me. So I thanked him, walked out, and I said, you haven't seen the last of me. It's a great story of faithfulness and loyalty. And, uh, you know, Vince, I just want to honor you. Uh, You are an Australian slash French man and your wife, Denise, and God has used you so wonderfully in another part of the world. And I just want to honor you for the work that you've done. I know the work's continuing. You're still involved in those 30 churches in leadership and overseeing and mentoring roles. But I just want to say, well done, my friend. Well done. Thank you. So Vince, if someone wants to get in touch with you or check out what you guys are doing, do you have a website they can go to? Well, I have a website, um, but I, I mainly work on my French website, which won't be any good. Uh, but if anybody wants to follow what we're doing, then the best thing to do is to follow on my Facebook page, which okay. is uh, Vince Esterman. That's all it is. It's E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N, Vince Esterman. And all they need to do is to go on that. And, and I'm just about every day I'm putting something up there. Um, so uh, they can contact me through that, um, or they can contact me via my uh, on my email address, um, but all of that is, is on the Facebook page. So it's just Vince Esterman, so that's E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N on Facebook. That's right. Vince yeah. Esterman. Well, Vince, I want to thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story today. So encouraging. And uh, I just pray God continues to use you and your wife, Denise, for all of his purposes and plans. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure just sharing with you, Andrew. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.